This podcast is brought to you by Rehoy and Son, big supporters of local sport. Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast. Our thanks to Rehoy and Son for their support of the show. Coming at you a little bit late this week um, to accommodate a very busy few days for Ireland football. Um, lots to talk about today. Um, we'll be reflecting on a stellar night for Alex Scott in the FA Cup on Tuesday night. Looking back on last night's Stranger Cup final. Um, it's also been a, a good week for GFC. Um, chat on their latest results to come. And we'll have a look ahead to the first Marathi of the season as the Ireland under-18s prepare to welcome Jersey's juniors to the track on Sunday. My name is Tony Kerr and with me this week is Gareth the Prevost. Hi Tony. And James Fallot. Hi Tony. Uh, great to see you guys. Um, yeah, what a few days it's been. Um, I got back from Bristol last night. I've been lucky enough to be there on Tuesday to see Alex Scott um, put on a, a bit of a show against Man City at Ashton Gate in the FA Cup. Um, and he has been very much, or seems to be very much now, the uh, the talk of English football. <laughs> Certainly if you're um, uh, on Twitter, Fabrizio Romano Mano has been tweeting about him. Pep Guardiola was very positive after um, after that match, and Jack Grealish has called him a top top talent on Twitter. Um, yeah, Gareth, you were watching uh, on the TV where <laughs> some uh, yeah some serious pundits were also uh, lavishing a lot of praise on Asta. Well, I was trying to watch it, Tony. I was watching that and GFC at the same time on two live streams. So I had uh, Ali McCoy raving about GFC at one point in my ear. But uh, yeah, Alex, um, I think the one worry I had going into Tuesday's game was that um, because it was Man City, Alex wouldn't see enough of the ball. That was the one worry I had because I had absolutely no doubt that he would sort of rise to the occasion. He, he takes everything in his stride. He's he's a very mature 19-year-old. And um, it was just great to see him go out there, look so confident, just not look overawed at all. And yeah, he, he was certainly in the first half. I thought he, he was um, one of the stars of the show, to be honest. And when you're talking about the Man City superstars alongside him on the pitch, that, that's saying a lot. Um, and yeah, having seen, like you say on Twitter, guys like Fabrizio Romano talking about 20 to 25 million, I think that's underrated him now, to be honest. I think I think Bristol City could ask for a lot more and probably get it, to be honest. I was yeah. going to say, how many millions has that performance added to his, or, and the reaction to it added to his price tag? Well, because I mean, he's been the talk of the championship for most of the season. You know, you, you look at kind of any um, any coverage uh, of Bristol City's games, and you know he's been standing out, and you know people talking about him as one of one of the best talents um, in that division. But yeah, to, to get the opportunity to play on a platform like that, obviously against the champions of England live on ITV One. Um, with you know sort of no slouches in that Man City team. You know, Harland didn't start, but but other than that. Kevin De Bruyne was on the pitch. Um, Riyad Mahrez, Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden. He scored a couple, um, and to to look kind of, kind of yeah, look comparable to those players on the night. Um, it was it really was something else. And yeah, you know, as you say, Gareth, he's still just nineteen. Um, but you know, he's on the front cover of the program. You know, obviously, it's all anyone wanted to talk about before the game. And there was a lot of expectation on his shoulders there. And it didn't take him long at all to to stamp his authority on the game. Um, yeah, as I say, it was it was there in the stadium, and it just every time he. You know, every time he got on the ball, and he did see a lot of it in the first half. You know, you could sense. You know, it's a cliche, but you, you, you know, everyone sort of sort of holds their breath, and that you could sense the excitement, um, excitement there. And he, and he just he did everything right. I thought he was, you know, early on picking up the ball, playing you know, the right pass um, with the right weight on it, time to perfection. There was a few moments where he managed to to kind of carry the ball. There was a you know a, a fairly decent um, chance he opened up for himself, didn't he? And the shot just 
you know, he didn't quite catch it. Um, there was one from a free kick where he dribbled through about three or four City players in the box and kind of ran into a bit of traffic in the end. Um, but, you know, that, that, that was pretty incredible. And, and, and one thing as well, you know, obviously there was a lot of talk about the fact that, um, you know, he's the Guernsey Grealish and, and Jack Grealish is on, you know, on there and all the comparisons that come with that. Uh, to be fair, Grealish yeah, copped a lot of stick when he came off the bench. You know, he's, he's probably not the most popular player with um, opposition fans. And you think with those comparisons that, you know, and the, the amount of times that Scott gets fouled, that he's going to be sort of lightweight and, and perhaps, you know, he throws himself on the floor and maybe a bit soft, but it's it, it's just not the case. He's He was really sort of, he really battles. He won a few gritty headers in the, in the middle of the park. There was one moment in the second half, probably Bristol City's best chance in the second half where... He he kind of he busts the gut for sort of 30, 40 yards to, to get in and and hunt down Ruben Diaz, keep the ball in play for Andy Vyman to, to whip a ball in and um and, and Sam Bell couldn't quite get his head around it. But yeah, it was a really battling performance, um extremely impressive. And I managed to grab a quick word with him in the players lounge after full time. That's why I just kind of sum up this whole evening and this whole experience for you. Um yeah, I think just a special, special evening. Um obviously playing against, in my opinion, the best team. In the world, I think they've proven that the past four or five years. So, again, playing against some of my idols growing up, I've been watching them the past few years, and I mean that, that's the that's the level really. Um, I think just playing there and seeing it in the flesh, I think it's something different. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a good game. I think we had some chances as well where maybe if we if we took a few of them, it could have been could have been something different. But of course, we we're happy to, to to play a team like that and test ourselves. Yeah, and well, you seem to have taken so much in your stride in your young career. I mean, were there any nerves going into this one? Was it? Did it feel different? A little bit. I think throughout the day, I was on and off nerves. Sometimes I was, I was fine. I was chilling. Like it's just, it's about the experience, really. And then there was times where I was thinking, these are the best players in the world. So I think, yeah, it, it just a bit of both, really. I think I was, as soon as I got out there and, and I was playing football, it's, it's all I've known. So when you're out there, you're comfortable. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed myself, and, and that's the main thing. I think, like I said before. If, if we were to get a result, if we nicked a, a few of those chances in the first half, I think it could have been something different. But like I said, they're, they're a top, top team and it was just a bit of an, an honour really to, to play against them. Yeah, and you look really comfortable kind of from the off. Um, you had some really nice touches, you know, releasing players down down the wing, you know, shot and goal, which maybe if you caught it slightly uh, slightly differently, it would have found its way to the back of the net. Um, did, did it feel like things just clicked for you to, tonight as well, sort of straight away? I mean, you sort of settled into things so quickly. Yeah, I, I felt good to be fair. I think... It's tough against a team like that to to get on the ball. Um, I think that was something we spoke about at halftime was getting me on the ball a bit more because um, I think whenever I had the ball and had a chance to drive at the, the defence and play past, I think it created a few opportunities for, for the lads up front. Um, but I think, yeah, we, we played well. I think I played I played OK. Second half dropped off a little bit and they dominated for, for the majority of the game. So most of the time it was just chasing Calvin Phillips and, and Rico Lewis round but now it's an experience I, I enjoyed and I can take it now into into my career and it's about testing myself against the best players and ultimately that's a, the level I want to be at in the future so again just a, a good experience for me and the, the rest of the lads. Yeah amazing and obviously there's so much chat about Grealish going into it against Grealish against the original Grealish he came off the bench you obviously talked about him um, previously, someone you, you kind of look up to and sort of model your own kind of game on. Yeah, what was it like to, to share that turf with him? No, yeah, it felt good. Um, I think it got to a point where I was thinking, is, is he going to come on or not? And then when I saw he was coming on, I, I had a little smile. And yeah, like, he's been my, my favourite player of the past few years. I think the way he plays and the way I play is, is similar in a way. Obviously, I understand I've got a, a long way to go to be at, be at the level he's at. Um, but I think, yeah, to, to be on the same pitch with him, it was 
it was a good feeling and managed to grab his shirt at the end and, and I had a little chat with him, with Andy downstairs, so yeah, that was nice. What did he have to say to you? He just said keep working hard. Um, he says he's, he's been seeing I'm doing really well and stuff and keep working hard and, and keep being myself and one day I'll, I'll be, be at the level they're at. So yeah, he only had nice things to say and just off a, a short combo downstairs, he, he seems like a, a top, top guy, so yeah. Fantastic. And just finally, you know, obviously, you know, the biggest moment of your club career, biggest match of your club career so far tonight. How special is it to have all your family there behind you um, supporting? I mean, it must be incredibly proud. Yeah, it's just it's a special feeling for me. Obviously, they've been there for, for me since I was a, a young lad, four, four, five years old playing football. So for them to see it and for them to be here and, and see us play against one of the best teams in the world, I think for them, it's a, it's a really proud feeling. And it gave me the extra push today knowing that I've got a lot of my family here. Um, obviously, my dad couldn't make it because of work and stuff, so I was gutted for him and, and he's gutted that he couldn't make it, but he's texted me already and he was watching from home and he just said he, how proud he is of me. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was good for them to get over and see the game and, yeah, now we can enjoy a few, few days together. Alex Scott speaking to me in the players' lounge at Ashton Gate. I have to say there weren't any other players in there. It was just Alex and his family and uh, who had turned out um, in I'd full... I'd call you a player, <laughs> That's how I got in the uh, got in there. Um, yeah, Alex's family were there in full force to support him, and um, I mean, yeah, just how proud, or ridiculously proud they must be um, on a night like that. It, it was uh, absolutely incredible, and I guess now it's it's all eyes on kind of what happens next and where he goes because uh, it could be one of about twenty Premier League clubs, couldn't it? Yeah, and I think one thing you alluded to earlier, Tony, is that every, all the eyes were on him, and um, ITV went and interviewed him as well afterwards. Um, Gabriel Clark, who sort of interviewed the world's most leading sportsmen and women for years on end, sort of gets Alex Scott in, and you could just tell the maturity and humility as well of, of the lad just when he was speaking to him and he's sort of saying how much he just enjoyed being on the pitch with sort of like his idols and you. And you sort of look at him and think, well, you deserve to be there, mate, because you, you're, to be honest, in my eyes, you're almost as every bit as good as them. But um, uh, the other thing I also noted a bit during the game was the fact, I, I know it, it, might, it might come with time, I've, I certainly hope it doesn't, that he doesn't moan. You know, you see so many of these Premier League players straight in the referee's ear of minor little sort of contact or anything like that. Um, Alex will, he gets fouled an awful lot, but he sort of just... He takes the foul, gets up and gets on with the game. He doesn't moan. And it's almost like the, the ingrained Guernsey-ness in him, I think, that just... <laughs> he, he, I mean, it's, well, we say it in the Eastman yeah. League that Guernsey FC players don't moan perhaps almost as much as they should do compared to some of their opponents. But yeah, he just got on with it and he showed just how good he is sort of on and off the pitch, I, I think. Yeah, and uh, you know the, all the talk in Bristol City, you know, from the fans is very much like they just want to enjoy him while he's still there, mm. um, see as much of him as they can before the end of the season. Um, kind of walking through the concourse afterwards, it was like you know there's that sort of classic, sort of slight din, um, but you know you could just hear he was just on everyone's lips. You could just hear kind of Scott, Scott, Scott being whispered and chatted about around the whole place. Uh, he really is a remarkable uh, young man at all levels, I would say. Uh, you know, massive question though about what happens next to him doesn't it you know is it too early to leave Bristol this summer uh and you know then then where should where should he go I mean I, I just feel terrified about young lads in in the championship who sign for big clubs and get lost you know two or three you know you're playing I don't know what Alex has played 60 games now or something in the in the championship yeah uh, yeah I think he's played about 80 senior appearances yeah so yeah uh, you yeah, know overall. and then you know you could go and virtually play no league football for one, two years, get pushed out on loan somewhere. You know, 
what's his England prospects like? And 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 yeah, are they going to disappear? I mean, it's you could say that twenty clubs could could have him, but you know, you know, God, um, four or five might treat him properly, and and that's you know what mm. what worries me really is that uh, you know wherever he ends up is going to be you know, good good for him personally, yeah, you know, and and good for that team, not to just disappear off the you know off the face of the earth yeah it's a vital next step isn't it and i mean there's been so many rumors already you know suggestions from some quarters that he might be bought for a, for a big fee but then loaned back to bristol for another season i mean whether that's the right um right option i don't know i mean they're obviously you know they, they have ambitions of their own and, and you know they're not by well, it seems to be that, that, that things at bristol city are starting to click and they you know they, they were 12 unbeaten going into this game with city yeah, maybe they there's a promotion push, a playoff push um, towards the end of the season for them. But if not, yeah, are they geared up to do it next season? And, and well, and, and should he stay? Should he should he move on and, and get that high level experience as early as possible? The thing is, in the championship, every decent player is for sale. You know, and and every club such as Bristol City would just want to you know maximise uh, what they can get from from that asset. So, and frankly, if the offer if if an offer comes in this summer, then they're going to be pushed to take it you can't really if somebody comes in for a championship site and a team like Bristol has been stuck in the championship for a long time no way can they turn down 20 25 million pound so uh, but then you know what does Alex do I mean I see a lot of um, uh, social action uh, in relation to going to Spurs I mean you know Heart sinks. I, I know he supports. <laughs> I know he supports them, but I've also seen Spurs destroy careers of uh, lots of promising youngsters. And uh, oh, you know, uh, I can't Spurs as well in particular. It's miserable, isn't it? Yeah. I do think that I, I totally get where you're coming from, Jim. The great thing with Alex's position is now that if one club comes in with an offer, you can be guaranteed there'll be several others coming in, matching offers all round. So. He would almost have a pick of where he could go. Um, and when we've had him in on the podcast from a couple of years ago now, I suppose, he, he was very clear that all he wants to be doing is playing football, playing senior games of football. So I think he'd be he'd be loath to go anywhere where he'd be sat on the bench sort of like for a season. So um, I think with that sort of maturity, the, the sort of why it says on young shoulders, I think if he was to move in, in the near future, um, he'd, he'd pretty much make sure it's the right move for him. Um, and as long as he is, is playing senior football, it, it's, uh, it will just help his development. But yeah, you certainly don't want him to sort of get to this stage and then almost take a backward step by not being on the pitch. The thing you just don't know what a backward step is. I mean, is it a forward step or a backward step to go to a team in the bottom six? Is it, <laughs> is, it, is it a forward or backward step to go to a big club and, and get occasional games rather than big games? Yeah. You know, all, all these uh, imponderables, real, uh, you know, such an issue for uh, Alex and his advisors. Yeah. You know? As an Everton fan, I can honestly say <gasps> I'd love to see Alex Scott play for Everton and yet I'd hate, for, as a Guernsey <laughs> fan, I'd hate for him to play for Everton because we'd probably ruin him. So um, <laughs> in that regard, I'd... I'd rather him not come to Everton as with my Guernsey hat on, <laughs> to be honest. Well, there's one manager who I think I'd like to see looking after him, and that is Eddie Howe. I think, uh, yeah. I Another see... Evertonian there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could see him slotting into that midfield alongside Bruno. Uh, it could be very tidy. But I think I mean, at a club like Newcastle as well, if he was to get into the team, which you suspect he would, you know, with their fan base and all that, I mean, his legendary status would go through the, ro- you know, through the roof. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Maybe that's a uh, yeah, that's the kind of um, target uh, which would suit well, him best. Yeah, I think certainly the way Newcastle are going, they're they're certainly not there yet, but they are they're progressive at the moment, and um, I th- I think they'd be 
looking at their side, I mean, you know better than me, Tony, you're a Newcastle fan, but looking at their side, I, I think there would be a, a nice sort of natural hole for Alex Scott to fill in there in that midfield. But um, who knows what the future holds? It'll be good to see. It'll be good to see. <laughs> um, just a word on uh, some of the praise, because I, I mentioned Pep Guardiola at the start. I mean, he was attributed to saying, as describing Alex as an unbelievable player at the start of his press conference. And uh, I was lucky enough to be in there. He didn't, he said actually he's a very good, or no, what do you say? He's a really good player. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure where the unbelievable quote came from. I mean, you know, big it, really accent, good player. I think. <laughs> Being called a really good player by Pep, though, is uh, you know, is some compliment. And actually, you know, if you look online, a lot of City fans were saying we'll have him. Um, <laughs> which, given that you know the, the the sort of star quality on offer there, is um, is, is some endorsement too. So, yeah, what an exciting time! Um, I suppose it's slightly, I was going to say, slightly back down to earth for for Alex this weekend with an away trip to Cardiff. Um, but it's a big one, isn't it, for Bristol City? So that's a local derby, yeah, yeah, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, that's what that one's been sort of circling in the calendar probably longer than Man City. Yeah, yeah Man City's a cup tie. Um, so there'll be five up for that one um, and uh, yeah we'll look forward to seeing how he goes there um, you can read a bit more about Alex Scott's performance and the reaction to it in the paper today and I'll have a bit more as well about my experience at, at Ashton Gate and a few um, uh, quotes from around the club there in this weekend's paper I believe so uh, keep an eye out for that one um, that's up to you <laughs> <laughs> you, be- you believe you believe well it depends on what I can do it's meant to be written I guess yeah. put it this way Tony the pressure is on to deliver <laughs> <laughs> okay right that's it for part one then coming up Next, we'll look back on last night's Stranger Cup final. Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast. A bit of a change of pace then from uh, watching Kevin De Bruyne stroke it around Ashton uh, Gate on Tuesday night um, to the Stranger Cup final for me last night. Jim, you were there too. Um, a win for Vale Rec 2-1 over Rovers in what was quite a feisty game. There was a, a lengthy delay, um, a serious injury to Toby Olibarodi. Um, not, say, in a sort of a, um, a, in an aggressive challenge, but a sort of unfortunate coming together. And um, it sounds like quite a nasty knee injury he picked up. is down on the, on the ground. For, for about 25, 30 minutes for going off in an ambulance. So that was really um, uh, sad to see and we wish him all the best and hope to see him back on a football pitch very soon. Um, obviously a big blow um, to Rovers on the night Jim and they uh, they never really got going, did they? That's true. Uh, I did uh, obviously see these two teams play in league fair um, two weekends ago. Um, after my critical report and comments on the pod, Mark Romerill, the uh, rec coach, got in touch with me. <laughs> said you didn't enjoy the game? Uh, question mark kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> you know, I said, well, I hope it's going to be a better game in the uh, in the Stranger Cup final. I mean, in terms of goal chances, it was probably not too far different to the league game, but actually. Actually, you know, it was it was a match full of incidents. Uh, you know, g- given that, I mean, it was not a um, a high quality affair by any means, but it was a game full of incident. And you know, you got to give it to to Rec. At the end of the day, they looked really, you know, like they were hungrier for it, like they wanted it more. And, and actually, that you know, they were good value uh, across the park. Um, you know, and what um, Mark Romerill has achieved in less than a year at the Corbett Field, Frank, you know, is is really quite impressive now. He's taken a group, many of the, whom were there last season, where by the end of the season, they're out on their feet. And now, you know, well-organised, well-disciplined, um, you know, got a bit of a threat up, up front. But, you know, I've seen Rovers play them four times this year. And apart from destroying them once at Portsmouth, they just haven't managed to, to break them down at all. Um so, you know, and rec- okay, getting third place is probably just a bit too far off for them in the league this season. But the fact they've still got to play North and St. Martins, they are nobody's fools. And, um, you know, they could have a, a big say in the uh, in, in the Prio title race. Um, Glenn Lississio was man of the match and, you know, 
deserved it really. He scored the first goal with an opportunist finish and, you know, was a constant kind of uh, ball of energy in, in the middle of the field, you know, and, you know, urging on his teammates as the captain as well. I thought he was uh, really impressive. Yeah. Whereas Rovers, you know, a month ago, they were seeing teams off for fun and it just seems that the belief in that group has just disappeared and obviously losing their captain. I mean, they were without four centre-backs for the last hour of the game uh, last night. And you know, as a result, you know, they were OK, but I just can't see any attacking connections going on for Rovers at the moment. It looks like they're struggling to score goals. And, and when when games suddenly become difficult for you like that, it's a, it's a test of character. And, and Rovers are not battling through it. They're becoming touchy with opponents, touchy with the referee, uh, touchy with each other. And you know, the whole thing is just a, a bit at the moment. Now they've got um, an FA Cup game against Silman's Railway on Saturday, which maybe give them a chance to uh, to get a bit of confidence back. So we've got a massive game uh, next Saturday against uh, St Martins. Uh, which effectively you may well end up as, as a league decider. So, um, but anyway, uh, Stranger Cup, well uh, well deserved for, for Verrek. I think it's the 20th time they've won it now. But I was looking back through the records. I mean, they won it every season from 1973 to 1986. <laughs> yeah, 14 on the trot. So it, was their, it was their possession. For yeah, that for sure. Yeah. And uh, I remember even when I first started working at the press and chatting with Valrec people, they, they almost felt that the Stranger Cup was rightly theirs almost. And so in, in that regard, it's it's almost nice to see it back in, in their hands. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a trophy that keeps eluding Rovers. And, well, uh, Rovers' cup final record is atrocious, isn't it? I mean, they've never won the FA Cup, never won the Stranger Cup, never won the, the, the big inter-island cups. And uh, at the moment, you, you can't see, uh, can't see when, when that run's going to come to an end. Yeah, and you mentioned the title race now. Um, yeah, you'd imagine Toby's not going to be back um, this season. Uh, Finn has obviously um, departed for, for um, Shaw's further afield. I, I mean, are they now there to be picked off? Quite possibly. I mean, there is a, a hint of Devon Locke about this for sure. Um, you know, that, that five-point cushion, they only need to get a point off St Martins if they can, you know, uh, win their, their other three remaining games to, to guarantee themselves uh, the, the title, you know, without having to put it into anybody else's hands. Um, if there is a case to say that if Kevin Gillies can steer them through the these next four games, that will possibly be, you know, his greatest achievement uh, uh, t- to date, you know, much, arguably much more so than the, what, six months we've had of the season so far. Yeah, um, certainly in terms of the title race, I mean, I was at the Velrec North game and Mark Romerall said to me afterwards, quite, almost quite clearly, as much as you try not to, they did have an eye on, on the Stranger Cup on Wednesday. So they sort of like they, they looked after themselves. Um, they, they withdrew some of their key players before the end of that game against North. And yet they gave North a, r- a real tough test. You know, it, it, it was a pretty ugly game. But um, it was pretty even throughout and they've got to play them again. And you, you just know that Wreck love getting one over on North. You know, it's, it's the old, uh, the Grand Fort Road derby is never easy to call. And in terms of, yeah, North catching Rovers, they need to beat Vale Wreck. But that is never going to be a given. Um, they just about scraped through um, last weekend. And that was when Wreck had sort of their mind on other things to a certain degree. 
And now, buoyed by a Stranger Cup victory and facing another derby, you can just imagine Wreck sort of sitting around in a team meeting saying, right, let's, let's destroy our neighbours and title hopes for, the, for another season, shall we? <laughs> team meeting at the Randy Paddle last night, I imagine. <laughs> well, yeah, congratulations to Wreck on that Stranger Cup win. Um, Jim, as you say, um, just a couple of games at the weekend. Rovers uh, taking on Sylvan's Railway in the FA Cup, um, while Bells host Alderney. Um, so we'll have more on that on next week's pod. Um, right, coming up next, we'll look back on a, a good few days for Guernsey FC. Right, it's been a good week for Guernsey FC. Um, their good form uh, continues. What a turnaround from a, a few weeks ago. Um, they drew three all in a bit of a thriller at Foots Lane on Saturday and followed that up with a 1-0 win away at Westfield um, on Tuesday night. Back-to-back midweek away wins um, for the first time since 2014. Fantastic stat, uh, courtesy of the uh, GFC Stats Twitter account. Um, uh, and yeah, just a, what an amazing achievement actually when you consider the, uh, the resources at their disposal um, this week. Um, but let's start with that thrill. Um, Simon Delarue is here to talk us through it. Yeah, it was a, it was a fascinating game against Chertsey Town at Foots Lane. Um, I thought that uh, Chertsey began uh, really brightly. Well, actually, both sides had chances early on, but their number nine, Hippolyte, kept making really well-timed runs and they kept finding him. So um, if it wasn't for Josh Addison pulling off a couple of blinding saves early on, they might have been out of sight at half-time. But as it was, they it was it took the lead, I think it was on 22 minutes through Hippolyte with just one of those through balls, one-on-one with a keeper, picked his spot, nothing really Addison could do about that one. Um, uh, but then uh, there was a really unusual penalty uh, that uh, Guernsey scored. Dave Merris was taking the ball forward um, and went to pass it out onto the left wing and the ball hit the referee which really surprised me because the referee sort of was watching Meris and the ball and it was pretty obvious he was going to pass it that way and he just kind of got very flat-footed and the ball struck him <laughs> so anyway drop ball um so there was there was um Joe Alvarez and the Chertsey Town player right there over the ball and um Alvarez just knocked it through his legs to Mahon. Um, two of the Chertsey Town players then just kind of stood there with their arms open to the ref as if to say, oh, hang on, what's going on? And Mahon didn't stop, took it into the area, gave it to Ross Allen, uh, who went down, penalty, cue uh, lot, lots of complaints. Um, but uh, anyway, he put it away and that was uh, game level. So the Garen stand were rocking at that point, but yeah, within minutes... Um, Chertsey had taken the lead again and that's how it was at half time um, then a, a, a brighter display I think from Guernsey or, or at least you know they I think they defended better and, and um, Chertsey had fewer fewer um, attacks in the second half and uh, yeah Guernsey found an equaliser through a, a ball uh, from midfield uh, from his own half actually from Meris just just lobbed one forward for uh, Ross Allen the defenders allowed it to bounce he ran in between them met it perfectly with a left foot shot over the head of the keeper and into the goal so two all um, Chertsey weren't done then they uh, every, everyone I think at that point was believing right Guernsey and, and you know with all the momentum of recent results, they'll see it home now. But no, um, Yala scored for Chertsey uh, and made a good run, um, made a good finish as well. Um, and then time really started to run out. It was uh, right up to injury time. I think the top, the clock was just ticking over to 90 minutes. Um, Guernsey got a throw. Alvarez took it. Um, he's, he winds up those throws a bit like uh, Dodd. You know, he's, he's got a good throw on him. Um, flicked on by Sam Murray. And there was Alan to uh, to tuck it away. The camera angle I uh, I was looking at the um, 
the the highlights. I think there was probably a case for an offside flag to be raised to go for that final one. Certainly a lot of hands went up. Um, there might have been somebody out of shot um, uh, playing him on side perhaps. But anyway, it counted. And uh, Guernsey had a famous point. Uh, and it was celebrated like a win, really, because you know, a hat-trick of equalisers. Uh, uh, Ross Allen's first hat-trick, again, you mentioned the uh, Guernsey FC Stato, Matt Nichols. He's, uh, he was very quick to say, yeah, November 2017 was the last time Ross Allen had managed a hat trick so yeah they're, they're, they're scoring goals for fun uh, that, that made it 14 goals in February and they weren't done yet Tuesday night Gareth followed up with a, a big victory an important victory away from home um, and a fantastic goal from Danny Hale to set it up yeah it's an absolute beauty really um, I thought I mean, like you mentioned before, Tony, they, they only went, I think, with 13 players, including um, Seb Vance, who I don't think has played yet for GFC. So they were sort of down to the bare bones a bit. But I thought they were really competitive. It was um, it was a pretty even game throughout. But the, the winner was um, certainly worthy of winning any game. Uh, Tyler McCain, I thought, had a, a it looked like a, a decent game on the on the live stream down right back, and he um, he got a cross in with a couple of minutes to go in the first half. And it was quite a sort of a busy penalty area. There's quite a sort of a few bodies in there. But Danny Hale managed to sort of control it on his on his chest. It, the ball sort of just looped up nicely for him, and he sort of swivel volleyed it, um, and it flew into the top corner. Keeper no chance, and it was just a, a really terrific goal. And it obviously buoyed them sort of going into half time to have the lead. And uh, Josh Addison made a, a good save early in the second half. Jacob Falles made a, a good block when he was very aware of sort of like the positioning of the forwards and what have you. But other than that. Um, GFC could have easily had another. Uh, Ross Allen had a, had a decent chance from a narrow angle, which was well saved. Um, and I mean, Westfield might might think it was a bit harsh to to lose the game, but it was a really really good performance from a from an, a weakened GFC side to to come away with the three points. Yeah, all credit to them for yeah for making those sort of back to back away midweek wins. Um, I think Tom Sawbridge tweeted another big night at the Premier Inn. I'm sure there's a couple of Guinnesses and whatnot being poured when well, they got back. Yeah, there. they also had um, Jersey Bulls staying at the <laughs> yeah. same hotel that night. So I don't know how the Bulls got on. They might have been enjoying drinks together. Who knows? Yeah, a bit of, uh, <laughs> bit of interal and cordialness. Cordialness? Cordiality? I don't know. Um, and the crucial thing for GFC is that they're you know, 16th, um, one place outside those relegation playoff spots, but with a little buffer now, four points um, to Bedfont Sports directly below them. Um, Bedfont Sports having played a game more than GFC and certain Common Rovers who are two places below them having played two more games. So an opportunity there to put a bit of daylight between them. Yeah, and these recent results have come against teams that have been pretty uh, high up in the in the division as well. I think three out of four home games were against teams in fifth at that mm. point when they arrived. You know, it was a strange statistical quirk. But, um, you know, these are these are playoff contenders that Guernsey have been uh, dispatching. And, um, you know, if you think back to the beginning of the season, uh, Tony Vance was saying um, that there wasn't anybody in this division that Guernsey really should fear. And, um, and yet, you know, obviously early results saw Guernsey in the relegation zone and it looked um it looked like a, a an optimistic assessment perhaps but it just goes to show that when when guernsey have uh, most of their available resources um to hand and they can actually call on players and and, and have a decent bench uh, to draw on um then, then they are capable of uh, producing these sorts of results and um you know it's just a question of uh, in in that season where guernsey can uh maintain that kind of availability throughout which i know is a real challenge but if they can then then they themselves could well be playoff contenders yeah i totally agree with you um del i mean i, I speak to tony Mance 
sort of a lot about the sort of the, the level GFC are at, and literally you've got Basingstoke at the top, who are a, a good side. They are a very good side, and uh, Walton and Hersham, I think, are still second, but they're um, they're also a. a, a you know, they're perhaps a bit above, but almost anything there downwards, three to twenty, they're all capable of beating each other. I mean, some of the results recently for um, the sides around GFC have been a bit like GFCs. They've been beating sides who are trying to get promotion places. Um, uh, Tooting and Mitchum took the lead against Walton on Tuesday, and it was sort of like it wasn't that big a surprise. They ended up losing the game, but. Uh, yeah, you can tell once GFC do get that momentum going, they get a bit more belief. Um, obviously, having Ross back has been a big issue, and it's um, certainly helped. It just helps sort of build that confidence in in the whole squad. But it, it doesn't. It's, I've almost got to keep reminding myself that it was this year, since the turn of the year, where I sat watching GFC against Thatcham, who I thought were pretty average, to be fair. Um, we lost that game, and since then we've been very good, to be honest. You know, it's just it's amazing how quickly that momentum can shift. And it it almost makes you wonder if we'd started the season that bit better, could we have been pushing for perhaps not the playoff places, but certainly you know top ten, top half of the table. Um, so yeah, it's just it's it's nice to see them building that momentum, obviously with a with a big summer ahead for for Ireland football as well. One of the people on the uh, concourse during my commentary, they're asking me because he'd missed the goal, uh, Ross Allen's second goal was Will Fazakli, um, and and I often see Charlton Govine watching as well. Uh, so obviously you know very keen. They keep attending the games. They're, they're very kind of involved on the periphery. Do we know how far away they are from returning uh, as to the fold as well? Because yeah, they, they're in terms of this resource issue. They're they're potentially big contributors too. I, I, as I understand it, I think Will will be closer than Charlton will be. Um, I think Will has been doing some work on his fitness and whatever. I mean, sort of getting into the contact sort of aspect of it is mm. still probably a little way off. But um, I th- I think we'll see. I'd hopefully I hope we see Will before the end of the season for sure. I'm not quite sure how close Charlton is to be honest. Right. Um, course if, if we manage to get him back in in time for certain big interinsular events and an island game sort of thing that would be absolutely that, that would boost our chances no end but um you wouldn't want to sort of rush him back for any particular reason he's obviously had various injuries in recent times and uh, but yeah uh but looking at the injury situation funnily enough Guernsey FC are currently doing well without the likes of Jamie Dodd Kieran Mahon's not been available recently as well so they'll they'll be coming back hopefully soon, and if we get Will back as well, sort of for the last month or so of the season, who knows what we could achieve? You know, we could be pushing quite a way up that table. Mm-hmm. Heady days, um, Gypsy back on the road at the weekend at Leatherhead, and then uh, the next home games. Well, throughout the next five games are at home. Um, the next one comes against Mersham on Wednesday night, seven forty-five kickoff at Mersham, a couple of places below. GFC in the table, so um, something to look forward to there. Right, coming up in the final part of this week's pod, we'll be looking ahead to the under-18 Ratty. Right, last but not least um, for this week's show, a big weekend for Guernsey's under-18s, the first Marathi of the season, the Junior Marathi at the track on Sunday, a 12 o'clock kickoff. And after last year's red wash, um, yeah, we've had to wait quite a while, haven't we, for a, for another crack at Jersey. So it comes this weekend, as we say, um, from the under-18s. But there's been a bit of a, bit of a disrupted build-up, shall we say, to this one. Um, uh, change in the coaching setup. Angus Mackay um, stepping down from his role um, just in the last couple of weeks. And Jordan Kelly um, taking on the head coach role for the juniors. I caught up with him. Um, earlier in the week um, to find out a bit more about the preparation he's had and, and what he's feeling about the weekend. Yeah, I guess, Johnny, first of all, 
just give us a sense of what it's been like for you stepping up at quite short notice to to um be sort of lead coach of the uh, the under 18s and and yeah what what the last couple of weeks have been like yeah it's been a bit it's been a bit chaotic to be honest obviously i've been in and around the group the whole year anyway behind what we did previously and then a couple of weeks ago a situation arose where i decided to take on the group and it's been it's been quality the group's been really really good reacted really well taking on the information that we want to provide but obviously it's been a bit chaotic so close to the game to try and organize and just even the minute stuff trying to get up together has been I spent a lot of time on my time sheet, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I bet. And for you, I mean, obviously you've been around kind of Guernsey football for a little while now. You know, you're a very familiar face. Um, as you say, you've been involved uh, sort of helping out as assistant with this age group. Um, is it something that's come a bit earlier than you might have expected to to kind of to lead, you know, what is a, you know, well, to lead an island side in what is an important fixture? Yeah, it's it's certainly a bit earlier than I expected. So I was already I've already done the under 11s, so that's kind of been I've done that for the last two or three years. But obviously, to stepping up to an under 18 <laughs> is a little bit different to a an under 11 school team. But when an opportunity comes comes its way, you can't really turn it down because it's it's a great opportunity for myself to progress in the job that I do. And what's the preparation been like kind of overall this season? Obviously, heading into the last week now, I know you, you said before you've got a couple of training sessions before Sunday, but um, yeah, how has the preparation gone otherwise? I mean, have you been able to um, kind of get a good group together this year? Yeah, obviously we've had, we, we were, we've played in the Stranger Cup earlier on in the season and we've had various bits of training and, and various other bits like that. But in the last couple of weeks, we've, um, so we've played two friendly matches against two very good opposition played very well we've trained four or five times so we've had a good a good group for a lot of the time which has been quite beneficial for trying to get a new way of doing things across and how would you kind of describe your coaching style um or is it something that's gonna have to evolve as you sort of take on this lead role um obviously i've had i've had ideas and of where i want to do stuff um i'm quite a i I like to employ philosophy, but also I like to give players freedom. So there's no, it's not really a yes or no answer. It's right. I've got an idea, but obviously you, you as a player are out there playing. Um, obviously, I, you want to try and outscore your opponent. And that's you need to do that to win games. But I try and make it as simple for the players as possible. Don't concede. You can't lose. Go and score, and you can win. Basically, that's obviously there's fine details in between, but that's football yeah and uh, you know have you taken any cues from the coaches you've worked with in the past yeah oh yeah oh massively so obviously working the, well this season for example so being the goalie coach at games fc i'm working in around tony foul Sharman week in week out preparing us to play against your position every week so a lot of stuff that i've learned has been probably this season majority being involved in behind the scenes obviously being a player you don't see all the behind the scenes you just turn up and and do your job on on the pitch but behind the scenes you I've just learned so much from that side of you now yeah fantastic and you know heading into this weekend um have you been able to sort of bring anyone else um on board to help you with the coaching side of things you know perhaps with, with some different experience to bring to the table 
Yeah, so it's so obviously I've still got myself, uh, Jason Tardif still helping. Caden Tardif's going to do a little bit behind the scenes with analysis and on some of the set pieces. Then I'm going to bring Ross Allen on board. So he's obviously we all know Ross from playing, but he's also the, the Island Under 16 manager. So I thought that was a natural progression to kind of link two groups with potentially some players in both age groups, but also having worked with him previously and played with him we get along quite well yeah and I know someone who's enjoying his coaching as well at the moment so uh, yeah it'll be a, a good uh, good source of input I'm sure um yeah Jordy obviously it was a very difficult season last year um you know as far as Marathi football was concerned um for Guernsey when you sort of heading into this first fixture of the season I mean which way could it go? Is it, is it a bad thing sort of mentality-wise for the players having looked at last year and thought, you know, actually, we, you know, we are massively up against it here or is it something you as a coach can use to, to really kind of, yeah, if it's needed, to kind of, yeah, fire, um, yeah, put a bit of fire in the bellies of those uh, under-18s on Sunday? I think I think it can be a bit of both of what you just said, to be honest. Like, obviously, last year for Guernsey as a whole, we didn't quite get the results we wanted. Um, that's, that's fact. It's... We all want to win the games against Jersey, and unfortunately, that didn't happen for us. So, could that play on the players' mind? I don't know. It's something that it should do with motivation, maybe. Of you don't want to have this, have the same results, but and as a manager, it's a it's a fifty fifty split. Of you don't want to dwell on what's happened previously and try and look forward, but you kind of need to use that of how it felt to kind of get a better, a more positive feeling. Yeah, and just finally, in terms of the group you've got this season, um, how do you assess the the strengths of of that squad? Yeah, we we I'm, I'm quite happy when I believe in the squad we've got. It's we've got strength in all areas. We've still we haven't quite cut the squad yet. We've had a few injuries that have, have haven't been able to meet narrow down the squad as much as I would have liked to at this point. But the squad we've got and the, the ability that we've got in all positions. I think will really, really benefit us going into Sunday's game. Jordan Kelly speaking to me there. Um, just 24, Jordan. So um, you, know, you must be one of, if not the youngest coach we've ever had um, for an island side. Um, so yeah, wish him all the best going into the weekend. Um, Jim, um, as I mentioned um, before hearing that, you know, the build-up has been less than ideal for the under-18s, um, obviously coming off the back of a defeat at this age group last year. You've seen a fair bit of under-18 football this year. I mean, just give us your thoughts and expectations heading into Sunday. Uh, Jordan's got a massive burden to, to carry, you know, not only to try and bounce back from, from the red wash, but, you know, I think an awful lot of people will be going to the ground you know, much more in hope than expectation, sadly. Um, you know, we think last year's uh, all-conquering under-18 group won the Stranger Cup, uh, decisively and still couldn't get a result against Jersey when, when it came to it. Uh, this year, now that the under-18 league has been brilliantly competitive, I mean, you know, at this point of the season, five teams could still win the thing. Um, but to an extent, that shades the kind of lack of quality perhaps in, in that age group. You know, there is no decisive team. Yeah, the, yeah there's players are spread around and, and, the, and the island squad uh, demonstrates that. But... You know, there, there's no or very few standout players in, in, in the group in, in that junior football uh, set up at the moment. Uh, and so, 
you know, and you look at the other side of the, you know, across the water. I mean, Jersey have got two lads who are playing regularly for the Bulls. Plus, they've got Bulls under 23s. I believe their 18s have done some cup football in the UK or tournament football or, or something. Um, every, everything points to the fact that Jersey's so much better prepared than we are for this, you know, and you know, coming on the back of, of, of what we sat through, because I think, what, three of the five games were in Guernsey last year and yeah, yeah. none of them were a particularly great watch and we've got an awful lot of ground to try and claw back and I'm just not clear and I think you know a lot of Guernsey uh, football followers uh, you know, are kind of not clear what what the the strategy should be to try and get results in in, in junior football you know and okay we are the you know we are the small island we are the underdog but I think we used to go into most of these age group games believing it was Pretty much fifty-fifty, uh, and suddenly now, you know, again that that confidence, belief, uh, seems to have evaporated uh, from you know from us as a, as a football community. So uh, you know, I very much hope that uh, that the under 18s can can pull something out of the bag uh, at the weekend. But at the moment, uh, I would say you know the odds are against them. The Stranger Cup um, campaign was not impressive uh, at all. You know, it looked like to an extent they were making it up as they went along. And you'd think when you're playing the Stranger Cup games, you're what, six, seven, eight weeks away from the Marathi? You'd, you'd want to be seeing some kind of consistency in selection and some kind of shape as a team, not, not you know, effectively try out games at, at that level. If Those are supposed to be their competitive practice games. Where's the practice games that are going on before that uh, Stranger Cup campaign starts? So... You know, arguably, the, the whole thing st- started too late. You should be able to get a challenging uh, domestic program for those lads, just playing against prior teams and stuff like that. You should have enough to give you a, you know, a, a, a belief and understanding in, in what you've got to, to try and take on uh, Jersey's best. But also, you know, last year, some of the games we saw your Jersey absolutely kind of clued so much more savvy of what they wanted to do uh whereas sometimes you know we're still talking about development and stuff like that at, at, at age group Marathis. now of course you know going back way back you see some Marathi teams and you think who is that player you know you see the old photographs and you see players who you don't recognize at all as players it never went on to do anything better and you speak to lads you, you do know who are in those sides or oh, he was just a big guy who kicked everybody kind of thing but we used to pick teams a bit like that, you know, um, just to kind of put it up them a little bit. Uh, and I'm not saying that that's a uh, that's a way forward, but it's um, it was a tactic that, uh, that that kind of worked. And just uh, you know, looking to um, you know, develop players at this level. I mean, these are one-off games that crowds go to, and they want to see us win. Fingers crossed, or compete. You know, certainly compete. They don't want to see us get get rolled over and, and thrashed and and look at team selections and wonder how a guy who plays all season up front is lining up in defence or, or you know, kind of vice versa. Uh, it, it's you know the expectations of the of the crowds are currently not being met in into into the football. So uh, you know, I don't want to be I don't want to be negative, uh, and I really hope we get a great result this weekend and it sparks off something. But you know, something needs to to spark in into into the football because last year was was depressing and nobody wants to go through that again. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, you know, that said, 
we probably should have, or we were well placed to win the CD and Ratty, probably should have won that. The under 21s, to be fair, you know, it was a last minute winner, wasn't it, from Jersey? Probably did, probably had the team, well, definitely had the team to win that one, but maybe for whatever reason, it didn't quite happen on the day. And, you know, it's easy to make excuses. Isn't it? And then the 18s, it went to extra time and, and perhaps it could have been a different result. So, you know, we're right behind um, Guernsey's under 18s this weekend. Um, hopefully, as you say, Jim, um, they can do the job down at the track, a midday kickoff, and we'll have reaction on next week's pod. Interesting with the midday kickoff. Uh, I don't know if anybody noticed, but the Guernsey Ladies Football Club uh, reappeared on on the scene at the weekend, um, playing a game in the Jersey Women's FA Cup, which was uh, nice to see. Um, they actually reached the final of that in 2020 and never got to play it because of the pandemic. So, um, uh, and they lost three two to Jersey Wanderers, which was you know, not a bad effort. Apparently, they gave a um, uh, you know, gave a good account of themselves. I mean, effectively, it was the Marathi team playing. Uh, a lot of the people um, from last year's game were in the squad, but a few new faces as well, which was uh, uh, nice to, to see. Um, the, the most notable thing about that fixture was it kicked off at 9am, uh, which, you know, I mean, if you look at it, if you think a noon kickoff for a, uh, a for a Marathi is, is slightly unusual, 9am kickoff uh, so that the team could get the, the lunchtime boat back to Guernsey because it was cheaper for them to go on a boat uh, and stay overnight than it was to fly for a day to play a game. And, uh, you know, that's still a, a depress. Uh, you know, you can be as depressed as you like at what happens on the pitch. That is really depressing when inter-insular sport is so difficult to simply organise nowadays. Yeah, says it all, doesn't it? Um, well, we'll be back on Monday with uh, another Guernsey Press football podcast looking back at the weekend's action. Hopefully a bit more positively. <laughs> yeah, including um, that under-18 Marathi um, Thanks again to Rehoy and Son for their support of the show. Uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Tony. Cheers. Cheers.